some powerful songs this morning. Let's, uh, good morning, my name is JD. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a joy and a privilege to gather with you uh, this morning as we worship together. Uh, there are two highlights that we have this morning in light of uh, some current events. Um, the first thing we are doing is we are wrapping up the book of John this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but it has been a true blessing to walk through this book together and see how John unfolds for us and reveals to us Jesus in a way that is even different from the other uh, synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so the, the synoptic gospels all come from a similar point of view where John's teaching is a little bit different, not less than, not more than, but different and helpful and and in for us, and so I'm hoping that we can uh, bring about and bring an end, a good end to what uh, Jesus has for us and the Apostle John as well. The second highlight this morning is that this is an ordination service uh, for one of our current elders, Scott Groves. Uh, a group of ordained pastors gathered together on Tuesday of this past week to examine Scott's ability and fitness to, to rightly divide God's word. Uh, to have a, does he have a clear understanding of various areas of doctrine and uh, theology and to encourage him in his endeavor towards gospel ministry? As you can imagine, this is a stressful and uh, daunting exercise to sit in front of a group of pastors and defend your statements with arguments that are compelling um, and full of biblical conviction. I am happy to report that Scott was affirmed by all parties involved as they recognize that we have, what we have all seen uh, for some time now from Scott's, uh, of Scott's faithfulness, uh, his dedication uh, and to this church in leading and teaching and also caring for this body. He has done it well and exceptionally. And so as we open our Bibles uh, to the book of John chapter 21, John chapter 21, I want to acknowledge that my primary audience this morning is to those who may be aspiring towards leadership in the church. However, um, and so whether that be as a future lay elder or as a full-time minister of the gospel, that's my primary audience. Before the, but before the rest of you kind of tune me out and say, well, this, this is not for me, I want to remind you that what I say this morning can absolutely and will apply uh, to you as most of this sermon will be extremely practical in nature and I believe important to understand as you grow in your faith in Christ Jesus. I want to remind us just really quickly of the main idea of John, which he tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, that, that you should believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, that you may have life. Believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that, that one that paid for our sin through his death, burial, and resurrection, and that you may have life in him. That is our premise for the whole of the book of John. But for this morning, I want us to focus on this. I want us to focus on let your life's ambition your life's ambition to be to follow Christ faithfully. That's our premise for our text in John 21, is that you would let your life's ambition be to follow Christ 
faithfully. In John chapter 13, after Jesus had served the disciples by washing their feet, Jesus has an interaction with Peter, whereby Peter asks Jesus, Lord, where are you going? To which Jesus responds, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but afterward you will follow. This interaction from just over a, a little over a week ago in the timeline of the story of the Bible is important because as we see in our text today, Jesus instructs Peter with the words, follow me, twice. Although Peter was not ready physically or even spiritually to follow Jesus to his death just a week ago in the timeline, Jesus is now instructing Peter that it is time to follow him no matter the circumstances, no matter the trials, no matter the tribulation that is to come. It's a reminder that Peter will die, but in his death will also live. As we seek to understand what Christ is doing here in his last days with the disciples, and specifically Peter, I believe the applications are so clear for how we can live in light of what it means to follow Christ with all of our heart. So as we consider this, I'm going to present several charges or instructions from the text. This is not an exhaustive list, list, but one I hope you will find helpful. And a resource you can come back to as you think, as you think about ministry or how you can be a, a good, healthy member of a local church. This will be important for you. So we're going to see, it's going to sound like a lot, eight ways. Eight ways that we can make our life's ambition to follow Christ faithfully from the text. I'm going to take it section by section. So my first charge this morning is this. That you would remember. That you would remember who holds the power. Remember who holds the power. Look at me in verse 1. After this Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the, by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was him. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now we're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Jesus here does a miracle. He distributes and, and, and reveals uh, over and over again his power, remembering that he holds the power. This would have been a reminder for Peter of a miracle that Jesus had already performed earlier in his ministry. So from Luke 5, we see that, that there were two boats on a lake, and the fishermen had gone out on them and were washing their nets. They'd come in uh, from fishing all night, and they'd come to the shore. And, and, and getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked, uh, asked Simon, he said, hey, he sat down, and he started to teach people from the boat. Jesus did. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, let's put the boat back out. Let's cast it into the deep. And we're going to let down the nets 
for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing. We caught nothing. But at your word, I will do what you say. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, so many so that their, their nets were actually breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. There were so many fish on the boats that they began to, to sink under the weight of the fish. And I want you to notice the response that Simon has. When the boats began to sink, Simon Peter saw it. And he fell down at Jesus' knees. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is his response in light of what Jesus' power, what he did for them that day, where they had caught no fish during the night, and they put their boats in, and they cast them out so much so that the nets were breaking and their boats were sinking. The response to Jesus' power by Peter was to fall on, on his face before Jesus. But Jesus reminds him, to not be afraid. To not be afraid that he would be catching men from now on. So even as Jesus goes out to catch fish. And he's caught nothing all night long. And Jesus says no cast it on the other side. Cast it on the right side of the boat. So many so that they got quantity of fish but the nets were not breaking. That in our response to who Jesus is, we cannot forget who holds the power in our lives and in our churches. This served as a reminder to Peter and certainly serves as a reminder to us that God is all-powerful and sovereignly rules over all things, including fish and nets. And so like Peter, we would be wise to recognize God's power and it take us and make us fall on our knees and bow to him in worship. That our response would be to look around and see the goodness of who God is. I think sometimes we forget just the power of God in his creation. In his creation. I was watching a video this week, and it's a powerful video if you've ever seen it. The video of kids receiving glasses. Kids that are colorblind that have received glasses that, that help them to see color for the first time. You ever watch videos like this? It's powerful. Those kids, they, they put them on and they, they begin to look around. You can see them. They're in awe of what they see. They're in awe of the power of, of what they can view, that, that what was once black and white in certain colors. That you can just see them walking around and looking at the sky and at the grass and how, how beautiful everything looks. And then you see their response. Every kid in the video, every single one of them, as they see the beauty of creation, and as they see uh, the power and the beauty of, of colors, this array of colors for the first time in their lives, their response is to just weep. They just start weeping. They, be, they go to their mothers and their fathers, and they just put their heads in their chest. This is how we should be when we come to the Father. Not just taking for granted His creation and the beauty that's all around us, but recognizing just, just, just in saving us God's power in that. 
So we must recognize God's power. We must not forget God's beauty and power in all things. As it keeps us walking in humility. As it keeps us trusting Him above all things. And to not, our, and to not trust in ourselves to build His church and His kingdom. We must remember in, in establishing the church. To remember God's power that Paul planted Apollo's water, but it was God who brought the growth. It was God who does the work. And we must trust in his power. Do you trust in his power for your life? That's the first charge. The second charge from our text today is that may your heart's affection always be to Christ. May your heart's affection always. Always be to Christ. Look at verse 7 with me. That disciple who Jesus loved, who is the Apostle John, the writer of this gospel, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard this, heard that it was the Lord, he, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped from work, and he threw himself into the sea. Can, can you picture what's happening here? They're, they're fishing side by side, elbow to elbow, and and, and somebody from the shore is just telling them, hey, hey, cast a net, not on the left side, but on the right side. And in so doing, they get this haul of fish. And John recognizes in that moment, it's, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. And Simon Peter, just you can see him just dropping everything, putting his, putting his uh, outer robe on and just jumps in the water and he, and he rolls out. And I don't know why, but every time I imagine this scene, it takes me to the scene in the movie of Forrest Gump. Any of you have ever seen Forrest Gump, right? Like, he's in the scene, and he's, he's, he's going, and uh, Forrest is on his new shrimp boat, and uh, all of a sudden he looks out on the pier, and he sees Lieutenant Dan, and Lieutenant Dan's there, and the boat's going by, and he's just waving, you know, he's got this crazy wave, and, and all of a sudden he just jumps in the water. He's like, Lieutenant Dan, and he jumps out of his perfectly good boat, one that's actually moving, by the way. He jumps out of it. And he swims to see Lieutenant Dan for the first time since they had been in the war together. And then, for the fun of it, about a minute later, you see the boat crash into the dock beside them, but that's beside the point. But that's the affection. That's the affection that, that Peter has for Jesus. That he, would, that he would jump out of his perfectly good boat that he would swim to shore to see the risen Savior. His first reaction when he realizes that Jesus is, is, is he just swims to him. It was his reaction when he had heard Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Him and John ran to the tomb. There is no doubt that Peter had great affection and love for Jesus that he carried with him into his earthly ministry. We need, brothers and sisters, to grow in our affection for Christ. Where we desire Christ more than anything else in this world, whether it be a perfectly good boat we're jumping off of to go and meet in, whatever it is in your life that you need to put aside, to go and put your affections and your love for Christ, that you would do that. And I believe there are a few ways that we can do this. So just four subpoints here in this. The first thing, the first thing that we can do 
as we as as asking the question, how do we how do I grow my affection for Christ? The first thing we see is to just meditate. Just meditate on Christ and who he is. The the Puritan Thomas Vincent said this spend time in secret retirement, and there think and think again of the superlative excellencies and perfections which are in Christ's person. How wonderful and matchless his love is. What heights that cannot be reached. What depths in it that cannot be fathomed. And other dimensions which cannot be comprehended. You need to rest here. You need to meditate on Christ. The second thing is you need to study his word. And Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. So we must study his word. The third thing we can do is we can lean on him to gain affection for Christ. Lean on him. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believed in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is leaning into Christ to, to see his goodness and glory. The fourth thing, how we build our affection for Christ is obedience. It's walking in obedience. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Four ways that we grow our affection to Christ. We need to have, uh, we need to recognize the power that Christ holds. We need to um, grow in our affections for him. The third charge that I have for us this morning is to be merciful and quick towards restoration. Be merciful and quick towards restoration. Look at verse 9 with me. When they got out on land, uh, they saw a, a charcoal fire with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. This would have been a reminder to Peter on the familiarity of so many things. I don't know if you know or not, but this is the second time that John has mentioned a charcoal fire. Does anybody remember where the first mention of a charcoal fire is? It's where, G, it's where Peter was warming his hands with the girl in his presence, with the little girl in his presence and gathered around this fire where the little girl asked, asked Peter, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he says, no, I wasn't with him. And he heard the rooster crow three times. And the last time that Peter was around a charcoal fire, he left and wept bitterly. And here is Jesus sitting on the shore, reminding Peter of, his, of, his, of who he is, of his finiteness, of his inability to do anything outside the power of God. This is what he's reminding him of. He's reminding him of in the fish and the loaves that the miracle he did in feeding the 5,000. He's reminding him that that the nets once broke, but these nets did not break. And he's reminding him of the many ways of Jesus. Even, even in verses 15 through 17, he asked him three times, do you love me? 
pointing back to the three times that Peter denies Jesus. Peter's threefold denial of Jesus would serve as a restoration of Peter as he now confirms his love for him as Lord. And I wonder if you do that in your life. Do you love Jesus this way? But in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he states, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, we learn in Luke that God has already privately restored. He's already privately restored Peter. But this was a very public restoration. One that would remind him of his dependence on Christ for mercy and restoration. I don't know about you here, but I need much mercy from Christ. I know my my propensity towards sin. I know my propensity towards apathy and worshiping him. I know my propensity towards not glorifying him and glorifying myself more than I should. And I need this reminder that God is merciful. That in his reminding Peter of his sin and reminding Peter of his last time that they were around a charcoal fire together, that he ran and he wept bitterly because he, he had failed miserably as fulfilling what it is that he said he was going to do, which I'll do anything for you, Lord. I'll, I'll even give my life, and he will. But not then. We must be dependent on Christ. We must be reminded that is Christ's mercy and restoration that propels us to be merciful and quick to forgive. That is our ministry. Our ministry in following Christ is to show mercy to those who are undeserving and to forgive quickly as Jesus did. We must be quick to forgive and and, and, and quick to mercy. Even those who have sinned against us. So in our, in our ministries, we need to be merciful and quick to forgive. Our fourth charge is this. Be hospitable and gracious with your resources. Be hospitable and gracious with your resources. Look at verse 12, very simply. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. What a beautiful picture we get here, right? Jesus just waiting on the disciples. He's sitting at the, on the shore. They cast their nets. Peter swims to him. The other one's rowing a boat to him. And Jesus just says, come and let's, let's, have, let's share a meal together. Let's share a meal together and how, how much we see this in the New Testament over and over and over again. Even in Acts 2, they, they broke bread together. And they, they gave to any that had need and they shared meals around dinner tables and, and they made much of Christ together, this early church. Tim Chester writes this in a book titled A Meal with Jesus. Here's what he says. If I pull down, this is... This is Listen to this, it's important. He says this, if I pull down books on missions and church planting from my shelves, I can read about contextualization, evangelism matrices, 
postmodern apologetics, cultural hermeneutics. I can look at diagrams that tell me how people can be converted or the steps required to even plant a church. It sounds impressive. It sounds cutting edge. It even sounds sophisticated. But this is how Luke describes Jesus' mission strategy. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. So all the books that we can read about how to plant a church and how to reach people, just invite them to your dinner table. Share a meal together. Be hospitable and gracious with your resources. Luke 7, 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus made it such a point to share meals with others that he was accused by the Pharisees of being a glutton and a drunkard. But Jesus was always sharing meals with sinners and those who were not religious zealots. Robert Karras says this about Jesus. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, he is sitting at a meal or coming from a meal. If you need to do exegesis on this, you can do it, read it. I, I encourage you to read the book of Luke this week and see all the ways that Jesus is coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal with others to share the good news of the gospel, to teach and instruct and to help grow in the faith. Brothers and sisters, make it a point to use your resources and provisions to be hospitable and gracious to others, especially when it comes to your dinner table. Especially when it comes to your dinner. It's not easy. It's oftentimes inconvenient to have others over. But man, look at what happens around those dinner tables. My wife and I, a few years ago, we had a, a friend of ours who was just getting started in the carpentry business. And he's like, hey, can I make y'all something? And I said, yeah, man, have you ever made a, far, a dining room farmer's table? And he said, no. He said, but I'd love to try. I said, man, I'd love for you to try too. Why don't you make us one? And he did, and it's in our dining room today, and it sits eight people around this table. And we love, we've had many conversations with our own kids around this table, but with many other guests and neighbors and friends, many of whom are in this church. And it is a joy and a privilege to share a meal, to be hospitable, and to open up your resources and provisions that God has given to you, and use it in this way to be, and just share a meal together. Just just come have breakfast with us. Come and have dinner. Use your, use your resources in this way. Let's, let's do this together. Charge number five. Love God and shepherd others to do the same. Love God and shepherd others to do the same. John 10, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Look at verse 15 here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my and he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus just very simply says to him, feed my sheep. But this was vital that Peter hear this. If we go back to our reading in Ezekiel, chapter 34, you see that the people were a sheep without shepherd. That the shepherds of Israel have been feeding themselves, and the question is asked, should they not, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? Should not the shepherds be, be providing for and caring for the sheep? So many times the Bible uses this language of, of shepherds and sheep and those who are, 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 are those who are leading the church as, as shepherds that are guiding the flock and helping the flock and protecting the flock. And the sheep are those who make up the flock. But he's telling them, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter, but you do not feed the sheep. And so Jesus has this in mind when he's talking to Peter. And there are those who are not feeding the sheep. There are those even here that are, that, that are around us and among us who say they are, are feeding the sheep, but they're only clothing and feeding themselves. And they, they only care about how they look in public and their long phylacteries and, and how amazing they are and how good teachers they are. And he says, no, I'm telling you to feed my sheep. In Ezekiel, God has a solution. He provides for the flock. By bringing in David, who will become their king. I will set up for them, over them, one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. Do you get this? Christ is the chief shepherd, that he is the, the, the extreme, the, the preeminent shepherd. And we are his under-shepherds and his sheep. And that we must be growing in this way to shepherd those who are among us. Because after each of these questions that he asks about his love and affection for him, for Jesus, he gives a charge to Peter, take care of the sheep by feeding my lambs, by tending the sheep, by feeding the sheep. Peter's charge from Jesus is to care for those who eventually make up the church. To shepherd everyone from the least of these to the greatest. That's what it means by the lambs to the sheep. His responsibility as an under-shepherd is to guard the sheep from wolves. And care for them as they toil and strive through this life. His responsibility as an under-shepherd is to feed the sheep by preaching God's word, by making sure the church is singing God's word, by making sure that we are praying God's word, discipling with God's word, evangelizing and reaching the lost with God's word. That's what it means to shepherd the people. This is how Peter is to feed the sheep. And we see at the beginning of Acts when the Holy Spirit powerfully makes his presence, Peter immediately begins to preach God's word and, and when, then he gathers the people together in the churches so they can be shepherded and cared for by under-shepherds with God's holy word. But before you go and say, okay, that's for them. That's for the shepherds of the church. That's for the leaders of the church. That's for the pastors and the leaders and those who are 
over the church. Now, I want to tell you that this charge is for the whole congregation. This charge is for all of us. That we are to shepherd the flock. We are to watch out for one another. That you would look to your right and your left and that you would seek their good and not just your own. That you would look to them to shepherd them, to to love them, to care for them, to make sure that no wolves or any other false teaching infiltrates their life. Do you care for the sheep in this way? Do you seek to shepherd others in this way? Do you love Jesus enough to care for the brother and sister sitting to your your right and to your left and front and behind? This was a charge to Peter. That we must shepherd and tend to one another well. That we must guard the good deposits of the gospel. While making sure the gospel is being proclaimed, also watching out for one another that sin or wolves do not enter our ranks. So as a church, we must desire more and more of Jesus and less and less of this world. We can only do that by binding our hearts together and, and, and to seek each other's greater good and bring God glory in this. I was reading a book a couple of weeks ago that tells this story. It goes like this. A group of American Christians in the 19th century planned to visit London for a week. Their friends, excited for the opportunity, encouraged them to go hear two of London's famous preachers and bring back a report. On Sunday morning after their arrival, the Americans attended Joseph Parker's church. They discovered that his reputation for eloquent oratory was well-deserved. One exclaimed after the service, I do declare, it must be said, for there is no doubt that Joseph Parker is the greatest preacher that ever was. The group wanted to return in the evening to hear Parker again, but they remembered that their friends would ask them about another preacher named Charles Spurgeon. So on Sunday evening, they attended the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon was preaching. And the group was not prepared for what they heard. And as they departed, one of them again spoke, I do declare it must be said, for there is no doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior that ever was. We must be reminding one another that you're only as great as you are proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the greatest Lord and Savior that ever was. That is our responsibility, church, as we care for one another, we shepherd one another, Jesus is greater. He is more than. And we must shepherd one another in this way, making much of Christ and less of ourselves. Charge number six is this. Be prepared to lay down your life. Be prepared to lay down your life. John 13, 36, as I I read earlier, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Look what happens in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, 
and another will dress you and carry you where you will not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. But look at what Jesus does after saying this. What does he say to him? Follow me. Hey, Peter. Peter, you're going to die. You're going to die because you're proclaiming my name. What does he tell him to do anyway? Follow me anyway. You would follow me even in death. So a couple of church historians write this. Eusebius writes, But Peter seems to have preached in Pontus and Galatia, and last having come to Rome, he was crucified head downward. So history tells us that Peter, not wanting to die and be crucified like Christ, said, no, you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down that I do not die like my Lord and Savior died. Tertullian writes at Rome, Nero was the first who stained with blood this rising faith. Then is Peter girt by another when he is made fast to the cross. Another one would take him to his death, would take him to a place that he would not want to go. So even in Jesus, even in Jesus telling him where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterwards, even unto his death. Will you follow him anyway? Will you follow him anyway? And it's just as you see church history over and over again, we live in a pretty great time here in the U.S. As far as being able to come and freely gather here for worship, and we have been for a long time. That's not always been true. Of, even now in other places, you can't do this. And I think many times we take for granted what it means to, to lay down our lives and to say, hey, I'm in it for you. I'll be like Peter and say, hey, I'm in it. I'm in it, Jesus, whatever you need. I'll lay down my life for you. And then when it comes time, I think we would oftentimes flee. That's a good reminder to us that, that if it comes to laying down our life, follow me anyway. Peter, will you follow me? Church, will you follow him? Even if it means death, will you proclaim the excellencies of his grace even to death? To preach the gospel faithfully, to shepherd the people that God has called you to, could possibly lead to death. Are you ready for this? My seventh charge is this. Just be faithful where God has you. Be faithful where God has you. Look at verse 20 and 21. Peter, hearing this, he says, he turns and see the apostle John following them. And the one who, has, who, who leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that, that's going to betray you, John says, when he leans back on him? And Peter saw him and he said, Lord, what about this man? What about, what about him? What about the apostle John? Notice what Jesus' response is. If it is my will that I let him live until I come back, what is that to you? What is that to you? Why does it matter? You follow me. Man, do you see where our attention gets diverted? 
What about this guy over here? Well, what about them? How come, how come they're able to go and do this? How come, how come they have this responsibility and I don't have this responsibility? How come they're going to plant a church? How come their church is growing? How come they, they're seeing more people come to faith in Jesus Christ and they're baptizing more people? And we, we start to look around at the, at the horizontal and start of looking vertically at who Christ is. And we compare ourselves to the person next to us. And we begin to worry about their life. And we begin to be concerned about their business, which is none of ours. Whether they're successes or whatever it may be that, that, that we worry about, that we concern ourselves with. He says, Jesus, Jesus just brings them right in this. It's my will that he remains until I come back. It's none of your business. You follow me. You follow me. Follow Christ and be faithful. No matter what is happening with other churches, no matter what is happening with other pastors, just be faithful where he has you. You will be prone to look around. You're prone to see what others are, are doing. You, you may envy the success of other pastors or even other churches. And my encouragement to you is just to trust God and be faithful where you are. You follow me. You follow Christ above anything else. Not worried about anybody else in this world, but just follow Christ. My eighth charge and final charge is this as we get ready to close. Verse 24. This is the disciple, the Apostle John, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It's a big statement to end with, right? All the things that could be written, it could fill the earth. But these are the things that we should focus on. Jesus spoke in John eight twelve. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is what our witness is. That we would call through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would call people out of the darkness of sin. By believing in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his atoning sacrifice on behalf of our, our debt that we owe. And that Jesus paid every bit of it. And that by believing by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you can and will be saved. And that is what we are to bear witness to. All these things that you've read about in the book of John and all these things that you read about in the Gospels, you are bearing witness, like the Apostle John, of these things. Bear witness to God's redeeming work. He is redeeming people always. You want to be a part of that and bearing witness for Him in Christ Jesus. So as the musicians come, 
I just want to remind you of where we started. That you need to let your life's ambition be to follow Christ faithfully. Follow Christ faithfully. Whether that's in this life, death, following Him by reading His Word, singing His Word, which we're about to do, taking the Lord's Supper together, which we're about to do. In all these things, we want to acknowledge that uh, I want to follow Christ faithfully. Let me pray for us.